Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning. Welcome Trinity Community Church. You're happy to be here today. It's good to see everybody today. Welcome everybody online. It's great to have you with us at Trinity. We don't care how you connect with us. We're just happy that you're connecting with us. Obviously, it's a special Father's Day. We'd like to say welcome to all the dads. How many dads do we have in here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a dad. Let's give all the dads a hand. It's good to have you with us. So my talk is geared to us men, but anybody can take from it today because God calls all of us to be heroes. Do you know that? God put destiny in your heart. Do you know that? He created you to accomplish something. Did you know that? He did. You're created to be more than the ordinary. A couple years ago, I stumbled upon a story uh, that I think connects our hero theme with our beach theme. By the way, next week we'll finish up Catch the Wave, so we're just kind of pausing in the middle. It was a beautiful sunny day in July along this beach community. People were enjoying the sand and the waves when all of a sudden the unthinkable happened. A scream came from the water. We're centered right off the beach, only in a few feet of water. Then the word that nobody wants to hear when you're swimming in the ocean came out. The word, shark! How many of you, when you hear the theme to Jaws, you still go, ooh? ooh. You could be in a swimming pool with chlorine, and you'll still go, ooh, right? Vance Flossner heard the words, and he knew that the screams were coming from the direction of where his son and nephews were playing in the water. The waves turned red as he approached where the screams were coming from, and that's when he realized that one of the sharks, a bull shark, had his nephew, Jesse, by the arm. The seven-foot bull shark started to roll, trying to tear the boy's arm from his body. It was then that Vance did something that was incredible, even heroic. He ran to the shark, wrestled the seven-foot bull shark barehanded, The boy's arm was severed at that point. He got the boy away from the shark, the one that had lost his arm, got him into the hands of the people that needed to help to get him to the shore. And then he didn't stop there. He went in, grabbed the shark by the tail, a seven-foot bull shark, drug it onto the beach, reached in, grabbed the arm, handed the arm to the paramedics. The boy lived, and they reattached his arm. He did. Is that absolutely amazing? You can clap. That's an amazing story. His uncle saved his nephew from a shark attack. Unbelievable story. It was all over the place. I remember the first time I read this, I realized something. As an uncle, I probably stink. If that's the, the, because let me me clarify. If any of my nephews, nieces, sons, daughters, if they're in the water and a shark's going after them, you get the big Greek guy. I'm coming into that water. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll give you the people's elbow. I've watched wrestling before. The people's elbow, something. If one of you is in the water and you're flailing around and the shark's got you, I'm probably going into the water. It's just something, if something kicks in, you just do it. And I'll go in there and I'll wrestle you away from that sea beast and get you to the shore. I'll do that. But to go back out there to find a shark and to drag him just to save your arm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably out at that point. Because you can do a lot of things with one arm. Have you seen Soul Surfer? You can surf at a high level with one arm, that's fine. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? 
What would you do if you found yourself in that situation, right? What would you do if this was upon you? Well, they asked, you know, this guy Vance. What made him do it? You know what he said? He says, I don't know. He said, something just kicked in. Now, they referred to Vance, by the way. That's actually him in the bottom right corner. That's the actual shark. And the little boy on the left there, that's actually the nephew that was taken, who's living fine today. They asked him, so what made you do that? He said, something just kicked in. So they referred to Vance as a hero. Now, he rejects that title saying that he just did what he had to do. Doesn't every hero just say that? I'm just doing my job, ma'am. Just doing my job, sir. Just do what I have to do. What an amazing story. So that takes us to the question, what is a hero? It seems like today our world is obsessed with heroes. How many of you within the last 10 years have seen at least one superhero movie? Read a comic book, any of those things. They're everywhere, right? It seems like the superhero genre is now like the old westerns used to be, right? On every other movie. In fact, heroes have moved from the comic books to the big screens to this thing. Right now, Endgame, how many of you saw Endgame, the end of the whole Marvel thing in that first phase? To this date, Endgame has grossed $2.8 billion worldwide. Just recently, it was the highest movie ever. I think they re-released Avatar, and Avatar just took it in China. So what is it about heroes that fascinates us? What is it? Well, I think understanding heroes, when we see a hero, when we see somebody do something great, when we see somebody face evil and defeat it, I think it speaks something deep to us. Do you know that God created us to fight darkness? He created us to be salt, to be light. He created us to be the voice for those that don't have a voice, to fight and to rescue those that are oppressed to bring healing to the broken. That's what God called us to do. So you see, the story of the hero is not just something that's in a movie or in a guy that swims in and beats up sharks. The story of the hero is your story. It's my story. It's what God created us to be. Now, I'm a fan of superhero movies. I love the whole thing about the battle between good and evil. Uh, I'm a Marvel fan. You can keep your Superman and your kryptonite. Keep your Batman. Uh, Robin is an Aquaman fan. I don't know why. I guess he's a great actor, right? He's not a good actor at all. He's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of superhero movies. I am Aquaman. You know what I'm talking about? It's bad. In fact, in honor of the day, be prepared. You don't you see that? Thank you, Dawson. Thank you, Dawson. A little technical stuff. I don't know if you've seen Iron Man. It's loosely based on the story of my life. Loosely. Loosely, very, very loosely, like we're both men, very loosely, that's what it is. So what is a hero? This is the uh, dictionary.com definition of a hero. A hero is a person noted for courageous acts or nobility of character and is regarded as a role model or ideal. It's a lot of words, huh? It's a lot to live up to. I mean, it's one thing to do remarkable things when you're put under the pressure. It's another thing to be remarkable and to be somebody that's worth following. It's another thing to be a light for others to follow. So how do we embody this? How do we become the people that God destined us to be? Fully committed, fully empowered, at the right place at the right time to help battle the forces of darkness. How do we become that? Because, beloved, understand this. That's exactly what God has called us to do. We step in the gap and we fight darkness. We do. 
because we're children of the light. This is what Ephesians 5.8 says. Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation light. And then Paul goes on later in Ephesians to say this, put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you'll be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Verse 12, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. How many of you know that sounds like a superhero movie? Doesn't it? It says, for their powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world bondage in bondage. Verse 13, because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides you so you're perfected, uh, protected as you, comfort the sl- as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Do you know who God's talking about in that verse? You, me. Us becoming who God created us to be, the heroes. So how does this happen? How can you and I live up to standards like that? Not just surviving, not just getting by, but helping people, releasing people from darkness. Well, I think we can take our example from a few other heroes that the Bible talks about. You see, the Bible is a book of heroes. People that received their call and lived to their destiny and purposes. The hero we're going to look at today is Gideon. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Judges chapter 6, verses 1. Gideon is a lot like us, beloved. He had good days and bad days. Gideon was not the best of the best. He wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. He wasn't at the top of his class. He was the least of the least. And still God chose to use him. Why? Because um, he understood that everybody's got a destiny. Let's look at Gideon's story. Judges chapter 6, verses 1. It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, uh, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, and cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived and drove on camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Verse 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. There's a little life lesson here, a little note. Don't ever believe that you're so far away from the Lord that you can't cry for help. He listens. He's always listening. He's a whisper away. Don't be so proud that you don't call on him. Don't be so proud. He's there. He listens. Verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the, uh, the Egyptians and from all those that oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites and whose land you now live, but you've not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and he sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Not Oprah, (laughs) Ophrah, even though she's a great lady. Ophrah, which belonged to Joash in the clan of Abizir. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. You find... Gideon hiding 
trying to survive away from the Midianites. Look at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting that God calls Gideon a mighty hero when he's at one of his lowest points? Don't forget, beloved, God does not define you by what you've done. He defines you by who you are. He speaks to who you are, not all the things that you're not. So we see the beginning of this exchange between Gideon and the Lord. Verse 13, Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Beloved, it's okay for you to uh, state your case to the Lord. Have you ever felt like your world's kind of going into chaos and maybe God's busy with Saturn's rings and he kind of missed you? So, you know, in this thing, Gideon's reminding God, hey, God, it's pretty bad down here. By the way, God can handle your questions. He can. Look at uh, the Lord's response. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. He hears Gideon's problem and he gives Gideon the solution, who happened to be Gideon. How many of you believe that there's darkness in our world today? How many believe that our world needs more light? How many of you know that God is sending you? A city on a hill, salt and light. You are the answer to the problem. You're the solution to the problem. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. How many of you are good at disqualifying yourself for great things? Remember this, beloved. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Should I say that again? Some of you are like, what are you talking about, Willis? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He gives you what you need. Know this, you may not be the brightest bulb in the box. You may not be the sharpest pencil in the box. You don't have to be. You just have to be who God created you to be. That's it. So Gideon argues with God like we do. God, I can't do that. I don't bring it up to the table. And look what God says to him in verse 16. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So what's the first thing that we learn from Gideon? when it comes to understanding what it means to be a hero. Remember this, beloved. All of us have capacity to do amazing things for God, but you've got to start somewhere. And here's where Gideon starts, and here's where we start. First, you've got to hear the call. You've got to hear the call. When God speaks to you, you've got to be able to hear him. Gideon hears very clearly God's understanding, his solution to the problem that he has. In the wine press. Hiding, threshing wheat. That's a great place to find heroes, right? Hiding. Hiding from people, right? Being afraid. I mean, where do you find a hero anyway? Do you go to the Walmart and get you a hero? Where do you get a hero? I remember a few years ago when my kids were small, they, they watched the, uh, how many of you saw the movie Sky High? Remember Sky High? It was the superhero movie where all the superheroes would go to high school and they learned how to be superheroes. You had heroes and then hero support. How many of you were heroes? You wanted to be a hero. How many of you knew you were really hero support? I remember one of the girls that was in hero support, her superpower was she could turn into a guinea pig. I'd be like, God, a guinea pig? Hello? What are you going to do? You know, scurry away? That's a great superpower. Not really. Yeah? 
So where do you find a hero? I mean, do you go to the Walmart? Are heroes just born? Are heroes just naturally better than everybody else? Where do you find a hero? In every great hero movie, story, there's a moment where the hero finds himself in a place that they don't want to be, that they could choose to, to not be in, where they have a decision to make, to either shrink back and become nothing or to step into who they're supposed to be. In the story of Iron Man, we see the great Tony Stark has this, this journey, and he has his encounter, this hero encounter, in a cave, dying from a wound. He was saved by another guy that was in a cave. He saved his life. His name was Yinsen. And as he was being saved, Yinsen told him, he says, I've given you a new lease on life. Don't waste your second chance. And that brings Tony Stark to this profound understanding that he says in the first movie. He says, I shouldn't be alive unless it was for a reason. I'm not crazy. I just finally know what I have to do. And I know in my heart that it's right. Tony Stark received his call in a cave. Gideon received his call hiding in a wine press, just trying to stay alive. Here's the point. It doesn't matter where you are when you receive your call. Just be ready to receive your call. Be ready to hear what God's asking you to do. God loves, in fact, to reach us sometimes in our darkest moments, our lowest moments. Why does he do that? He does that to remind us that doing what he asks us to do isn't all about what we bring to the table. It's about what he brings to the table. It's always about him. It's not about us. In fact, Paul tells us this. He says, when, when we're weak, we become portals to God's power. Why is it? Why does God choose us in our weakness? Maybe to remind us it's just not all about us. It's not all about the things that you and I can do. The best thing that you and I can do is to yield and to be fully his. This is what 2 Timothy 1.9 says. He gave us resurrection life and he drew us to himself by his holy calling in our lives. God calls us. And it wasn't because of any good that we've done, but by his divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. This isn't about what you bring to the table. It's about him. It's always about him. So when he calls to you, don't try to figure everything out. How many of you ever had God nudge you and then you go next to him, how am I going to pull that off? Have you ever done that? Well, God, I got to do this. I got to get the money ready. I got to do this. God, you've called me to blah, 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 blah. If God calls you to do something, he has already planned for all the stuff that you need to accomplish that thing. A lot of times we talk ourselves out of what we hear God speaking to us. Have you ever done that, beloved? Well, yeah, maybe in a different season. Maybe at a different time. When is the right time to take the step? You know when the right time is? When God tells you to take the step. So you take the step and you don't worry about the rest. So when God calls you, don't try to figure it out. Trust and say yes. So Gideon starts off. He hears the call. God speaks prophetically into him. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And then through a series of events, even no, Gideon pushed back a little bit, he started to, to buy into becoming the person that God created him to be. He doesn't understand it all. He doesn't know where it's all going to end up. But he's decided at least to yield to the process. And then we see through the life of Gideon, he has these little hero moments. And every time he has this moment, he takes another step. And he takes another step. Here's another one of those steps. Flip over to Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 33. 
Soon afterward, the armies of, the Midi of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Je Jezreel. The spear of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's sword to call all, uh, all to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizir came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, summoning all the warriors, and all of them responded. So you see again, Gideon has this second, this second thing. The Midianites are mounting, and they're bringing some of their, their buddies as if Midian wasn't enough. And here they come, and they start to camp in the backyard of the Israelites. Now, Gideon has a choice. He could shrink back and be the lowest of the low of the low, but he's heard the calling. He's decided to take a second step. You see, it's not enough for Gideon just to hear the call of what God wants him to do. But you've got to not just hear, but you have to begin to embrace who God's called you to be. Embrace who you are in God. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to do. At some point, beloved, you have to move from hearing to believing. You have to move from hearing to actually believing in your heart that you are the person that God says that you are. Clothed with power, Gideon rises. He rallies people. And this is an interesting thing about Gideon. Not only did he know in himself that God was with him, but he started to draw him in unto himself. When you stand in God's anointing, you stand in his power, everybody knows it. Everybody does. They all know it. Now, all of us struggle from time to time with our understanding of who we are and our discovering of, of who God is creating us to be. You even see it in every great superhero story. There's a chance where sometimes they get a little, little nervous, they don't know what to do. In the story of Endgame, one of the heroes, Thor, is this hero, this superhero that's kind of lost his way. Have you ever lost your way? Kind of forgot who he was. Forgot his mission, kind of started to, you know, started to feel sorry for themselves. Do we have anybody here ever feel sorry for themselves? Any professional sulkers? Does anybody, you any powders? Let me see your pout face. You want ice cream? Well, yeah, but no. Right? All of us do that from time to time. Four has this little journey there, and then to help to bring him on course, moms and dads, happens to be his mom. I know for me, my mom was a compass for me. You know, my dad, was, he would always tell me the truth, his truth, whatever that was. How many of you know we need people that are compasses for us to help us from time to time? This is something that, that Thor's mom, Frigga, told him at one of his lowest moments to get him back on course. She said this, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. A measure of a person, a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Let that sink in. The measure of who you are is how you succeed at being who you are. God did not create you to be somebody else. He created you to be you. That's it. When you spend all your time wishing that you were somebody else, or you spend all your time trying to, to please everybody else and be who they want you to be, you never become the person that God created you to be. Know this, beloved. You are who God says that you are. You are defined by the creator of the universe. That's it. End of story. If you don't allow the creator to define you, you're going to chase your tail until the day you take your last breath. God created you to be you. There's only one of you. And for some of you, thank Jesus Christ. Because the world can't take two of you. And you know, if you're trying to figure out if that's you, it's you. It is. Don't try to be somebody else. It's too hard. You can't fake it. I was uh, at the hardware store about two months ago. True value in Lantana Square. 
I had to get some grass seed and a few other things. And I walked in. I like stores like True Value, the small ones. And I love, there's just something about having one of those little safe, you get the card with the number. And then they give you little perks and prizes to have that card. And you get the little coupons in the mail and you spend them. And I love them. So I'm always giving my numbers and stuff like that. So I walk in and I'm getting ready to give the guy my number at the counter. He's the the guy. And I'm there, not a lot, but enough. And I'm getting ready to give my number. He goes, don't worry. He goes, I know exactly who you are. And I thought, this is awesome. He knows who I am, you know. It's like cheers. Yay! You know, I finally I've achieved. I've become part of the community. He knows me. He's got my number. Everything's great. So we're sitting there. I'm thinking, this is a great thing. And he goes, man, he goes, so, he goes, so what kind of day are you having, Dan? <laughs> Who's Dan? <laughs> you know? And then before I could say anything, he started talking again. He goes, oh, man, it's so great to see you. He goes, you know, Dan? He goes, every time I see you, you just brighten up the whole place. And I'm thinking, Who's Dan? I don't know who Dan is. And then it gets worse. Well, how's the family? How are the kids doing? At this point, I don't want them to feel bad, and I, I feel bad too. So I said, wait, we're good. Everything's good. Well, how, how are you guys? The dog's good. Oh, the dogs, dogs are great. The dogs, what are, those, what are my dog's names again? And he's going on and on. I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to play along because I'll just get out of here, and then I'll correct him another time. And then it happened. This is where my conscience kicked in. He goes, well, you know, and he goes, look, Dan, he goes, you just, you know, you got all your reward points. He goes, you got an extra five bucks off. Would you like that five bucks off now? Now I'm thinking, I'm stealing money from Dan. I don't even know who Dan is. <laughs> so I'm, this is my moment of decision. It's like, well, I, actually, I said, I, I'm not Dan. And he goes, yes, you are. You're Dan. I'm like, I'm not. Here's my, Thomas, that's my driver's license. And he goes, well, you're not Dan, but you, but you said, I said, I didn't say anything. You called me Dan. Then he got mad at me. Well, how, why did you let me continue to do this? I don't know. You seem so happy and you knew me. I just wanted to be known. Don't you just want to be known? So then he checked me out and, he's, and I walked out. And I, I felt bad and I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Every time I go back to the hardware store, I wave and he just goes, thinks I'm Dan. I don't want to take Dan's five bucks. What if it's his last five dollars and he has to feed his family? I don't want to take that. It's a lot of pressure. Here's the point. Know who you are. Know who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. It's too hard. It's just way too hard. Be who God called you to be. Now know this, beloved. Not everybody will like you. Not everybody can handle you. Not everybody will understand the beauty that is inside of you. Just because they don't understand it, that has nothing to do with your worth. That's on them, not on you. Be who you are. Be who you are. So who are you? Well, according to the Bible, you're pretty ridiculous. You're, pretty ma- you're amazing. You're fantastic. This is what Psalms 139 says about you. I thank God for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How you thoroughly know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I even became me. Before I had even seen the light of day, the number of my days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life lays before God, created for a purpose. That's who you are in Christ. It's who you are. Your life matters. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. So, beloved, this is what we have to do. We have to embrace who we are in Christ. Embrace your divine call 
Don't be somebody else. Don't waste your time thinking that you're junk trying to be somebody else. Lean into who you are. So who are you? Do me a favor. Bow your heads for a second. Let's just have a conversation with God. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Ask him. Say, God, who am I? Who did you create me to be? And listen to what he tells you. He says, my sheep hear my voice. You can hear God. Gideon heard God's voice. He responded. And it changed the trajectory of Gideon's life. In fact, not only did it affect Gideon, but it affected thousands of others that would have been slaughtered behind him. When you make a decision to become who God's created you to be, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects everybody around you. So be that person. Be that person. Trying to be somebody else is just too difficult. I remember when, um, when, when God called me, the first person I had to tell when I felt like God wanted me to do this was my mom and my dad. I sat down and my mother cried. She wept because she wanted me to be a veterinarian. She did. For my life, I was going to be a vet because my mom wanted to be a vet. I said, Mom, I don't know what to tell you. She said, but you're just going to deal with puppies and hamsters. I said, well, I said, God's called me not to heal animals, but people. Now, eventually, she got over it. But it was tough. Be who you are. Not everybody's going to understand it. So Gideon's story continues. Flip over to Judges chapter 7. So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were encamped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If, you let all, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the, the Israelites will boast to me that they've saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who are willing to fight. That stinks, doesn't it? Don't you hate it when God tells you stuff that doesn't make any sense? We got about 32, 33,000 people, Lord, and we're going up against the Midianites. By the way, how many Midianites were there? Remember, their camels were too numerous to count. There's a lot of them. But God said, well, you know, my ways are different than your ways. You still have too many men. I remember growing up as a young Greek lad. Have I mentioned that I'm Greek? Maybe once or twice. One of the stories that they teach us as little Greeks, when, when, when you can start to understand, is the story of King Leonidas and the 300 mighty Spartans that held off a billion Persians. Every time my godmother would tell the story, she'd add another billion. Those 300 men, they all died at the end, but they held off the Persians for us, and we're here today because, of, and I remember growing up, I want to be a Spartan until I saw the movie, I thought, they all died. Bad way to die. We just spear and die. I don't want that. Gideon has this moment. I only have 32,000. It's not enough. But Gideon does something that's remarkable. He hears and he continues to, to listen to what God's asked him to do. So look at verse 4. But the Lord called Gideon after he had already lost 22,000 men. There's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who'll go with you and who'll not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Verse 6, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. And the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Verse 7, 
Then the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I'll rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns and the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept 300 with him. 300. From 32,000 to 300. What do you think Gideon was thinking? Do you think Gideon in any moment was like, um, what? 300. What? God, are you, are you serious? Are you sure? I mean, let's be real. In war, can you ever have too many men? Get them all. Bring them all. I mean, can you ever have too many men? Here, Gideon gives us a practical lesson and an understanding again of the economy of the kingdom and how God likes to do things. Listen, beloved, closely. God's ways are not your ways. God's ways are not your ways. For some of you, you need to take a deep breath and in the immortal words of Frozen, let it go, let it go. You're trying to take your intellect, your stuff, human understanding, and put it on a, an infinite God that loves to do the impossible. Some of you are in impossible situations and you just can't figure things out, which is a good thing. Trust God. Let him figure those things out. If God calls you to do something amazing, he doesn't want you just to do it your way. He wants you to do things his way. You see, when you live your life according to his principles, when you do what he tells you to do, things happen for the kingdom, which takes us to the little third part of our hero journey. God wants us to respond correctly. He wants you to hear what he's asking you to do. He wants you to embody who you are, who God's created you to be. And third, he wants you to respond correctly. This is where us as believers, sometimes we screw this up big time. We hear God. God will say, I need you to do this. And God will speak to you. And you're like, okay, God, I got it from here. And then you do stuff and everything falls apart. And you're like, well, God, I don't understand. And God's like, I didn't want you to do that. You know, just because when God calls you, that doesn't mean you stop listening. That means that you have to listen even more intently. So you know exactly what he wants you to do. Because if you don't, you know what you're going to do? You're going to mess things up. God doesn't want you to mess things up. It's not just about responding, it's about responding correctly. Beloved, now more than ever, the church needs to learn how to respond correctly. Did you hear me? We need to learn how to respond correctly, not just respond. For example, the truth is not enough. You have to be able to speak the truth in, say it louder, love. Do you know that you can use the truth to kill people? We talk about the cancel culture. Do you know who started the cancel culture? The church. We love to throw away our wounded, to kill those that are broken amongst us. Why do we do that? Does that sound like the heart of God? When you read Jesus in the New Testament, moving and talking to people, do you see that in anything that Jesus Christ does? doesn't matter who you are. Adultery, tax collectors like Zacchaeus climbing trees. We're still talking about Zacchaeus today. God responds to Zacchaeus. He speaks to him the truth in love. And what do we see in the life of Zacchaeus? Transformation. Zacchaeus changes. He makes things right with everybody that he stole. His community is revolutionized while all the religious people in the back do this. Don't be that person. 
As believers, we respond correctly. We do what God asks us to do. It's not just about responding. We do things in God's way, in God's time. That's what we're called to do as a church. Anytime we we don't do that, we get ahead of ourselves and we mess things up. We don't go on witch hunts. We listen for the voice of the Messiah, the great physician. We have our, our ear on his chest and we take our P's and our Q's from him. He's the vine, we're the branches. We stay connected. If you put the cart before the horse, people get hurt and the church loses her way. I remember we were, I was watching one of the Captain America movies and he said something that resonated in my heart uh, about, you know, they're developing these things to stop war and stop bad things before they even start. And he said this, every time someone tries to win a war before it starts, innocent people die every time. Every time we try to, to do things ahead of God, without his permission, without his blessing, people get hurt every time. We need to be in constant union with God. We have to stay connected to him. And nobody wants us to do all the way through. One of the remarkable things about Gideon was through all this planning process, he's got the 32,000 people getting ready to fight. Even in the middle of the planning process, he still had his ear toward God. No, nope, there's too many. Gideon, okay. How about now, Lord? Still too many, gotcha. How about now, Lord? How many of you run your plans in God like that? Or do you say, God, I got this. Me do, I got this. Stay connected to the vine. Listen to what he says. Let God have access to your heart through this entire process. Why did Gideon do that? Why was he able to do that? Because he knew this. If God wasn't with him, there was no way they were gonna win. Guys, if God is not preeminent in your life, you will never be the person that God created you to be. And you won't impact the world with kingdom impact like God created you to. How many of you want to change the world? You can't do that just in yourself. You need God's help. You need him. We are completely dependent on God. Not just to establish things that he wants to do in us, but to see things continue and to flow. This is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Most of you know this one. Let this get into your bones. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. And look at verse six. Become intimate with him, whatever you do, and he'll lead you wherever you go. Intimately knowing what God wants you to do. That's the goal for us as believers. We don't have it all figured out. God gives us our plans, our marching orders. He sends us on. This is why we have to be in constant connection with the Father. This is why you need the daily rhythm of daily connection with Him. Because if you don't do that, we will veer. And you'll start to do things your way instead of His way. Let's finish up with Gideon. Verse 7. This is a good part to the end of the story. So Gideon collected all the provisions and the ram's horns and all the other warriors and sent, from all the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. By the way, how would you like to have been one of the 300 men? You see all your buddies going home, they're ordering pizzas, they're watching TV. And you know, well how, well, how did we get to be picked? Well, it's how you drank water. What? So Phil drank water, and, I, and I'm, I'm staying and you're leaving? Me and Jesus would have a conversation, right? He kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. Verse 9, that night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp 
with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. And I love this because we get a little window into this relationship that, that Gideon and God has. God understands your weakness, beloved. Sometimes we think that it's not right for us to ask for a little extra encouragement. One of the things we learned from the story of Gideon with this and his fleeces, God, it's okay for us to say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. I don't get it. Help me, Lord. Please help me to get it. God doesn't look down on you. It's like the beautiful prophetic song that they sang over you today. He loves you. His heart is for you. He's not going to go, shame, you should have figured it out by now. God loves it when we're honest with him because he already knows what's in our hearts anyway. Isn't it funny? Sometimes I think when it comes to God, you ever play hide and seek when your kids are there little? And your kid hides like in plain sight. They have like a dish rag on their face. You're like, oh no, where did Tori go? <laughs> I can't find her anywhere, right? And then you're like, there she is. And she's like, I'm here. We do that with God all the time. Well, God, I don't want you to know my intimacy. He knows everything about you. He created you. So God meets Gideon where he is. So Gideon takes him up on the, on the invitation. He goes down, right? So Gideon took priority and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. Verse 12. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. Verse 13. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. Verse 14. A companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing, which I think is absolutely hysterical can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, and the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of his allies, all from a loaf of bread. That's why you don't eat bread after nine o'clock. You never know what it'll do to you, right? Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. At that point, even though the battle hadn't been fought yet, it was done. Cash the check. It's over. Gideon understood. Gideon started his journey first by hearing the call of God on his life. He heard God. Second, he embraced who he was to God. He started to embrace, I, maybe I am this person that God says that I am, the mighty hero. Third, he responds the way that God wants him to, which is a big deal. And then fourth, he straps up and he does what he was born to do. He overcomes the darkness. That's what heroes do. They overcome the darkness. We're called to be salt, to be light in a cold world, a world that's lost her way. Beloved, we're the ones that stand in the gap for our friends, our family, our communities, and for the world. We're the ones that are called to pray for God's kingdom to be established on the earth. We are the church. We are not victims. We are overcomers. Even in time of persecution, we are not victims, we are overcomers. We don't just fight for ourselves, we are not selfish. We fight for every living, breathing soul on this planet. We fight that they would know God, come to know Him, come to hear His heart, come to know Him like we know Him. We're the ones that bombard heaven with our prayers. We're the ones that are the practical hands and the feet of Christ. We are called to overcome darkness and bring as many people to Christ as possible. That's what we do. We're not a country club. We don't fight amongst ourselves. We have too many things going on out there. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. We stand tall. We stand firm. We lift each other up. We restore the broken, the fallen. 
We follow God's heart. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We bring people back to God. That's what we do. Once you've tasted that, beloved, you can't go back. You can't go to sleep again. You can't. I remember uh, one of the Spider-Man movies. Little Spidey. We had our tall Spider-Man here. Comes to this realization. Says this, for me, the choice to lead an ordinary life is no longer an option. You are not ordinary. You were not born to be ordinary. You were born to change the world. You're born to be a world changer. What's keeping you from taking your post? What's keeping you from standing up and fighting the fight that God has laid before you? The time to do nothing is over. You've been awakened. Be the person that God created you to be. Bow your heads with me. So who are you? Where do you fit? What do you focus on? Are you stuck in the rut of just survival? And are you ready to step up and become the person that God created you to be? This isn't just about you and your fulfillment, your purpose. This is about all the people behind you that need to hear, they need to experience what you bring to the table. Take a minute, I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit and ask him this question, Lord, what would you have me do? Show me, not just who I am, but what would you have me do? And listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.